Hey, Rockheads, it's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full-week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. So go to ndc-london.com right now, and we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1216, with guest Damian Edwards. Recorded Thursday, November 5th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are in a conference room again at Microsoft, and Damian Edwards is here. It's going to be a fun show. Building 44. Yeah, Building 44. We've 40. been getting around. Yeah. So uh, we were going to do this in Building 33, which is the conference center. However, uh, the MVP summit is in full roar. And yeah, the MVPs are noisy, but kind of loud over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, um, I went looking for a better know framework this morning, uh -huh. and I, I found something from our friend Elijah Manor. Ah, big fan of Mr. Manor. At ElijahManor.com. You might think it's some really spectacular web software or JavaScript thing. Nope. It's jokes. <laughs> Really? Roll the music. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? I swear to God, this is great. So, Elijah Manor says, you may have noticed recently that I've tweeted some front-end web developer jokes here and there. The feedback I've received has ranged from ha-ha to groan to unfollow. <laughs> I think most of those responses are out of fun, but who knows? Others have encouraged me to continue making more jokes and have wondered where they can see a list of all the puns. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash web jokes, which I can't, I can't believe, believe is available. Yeah, that's amazing. Here you go. So I'll just read a couple of these. So. How do you comfort a JavaScript bug? How? You console it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when a no. JavaScript date has gone bad, you say, don't call me. I'll call back you. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get a smile out of Damien. That's yep. good. Uh, Dev1 saw a strange JavaScript function and asked, what is this? Dev2 responded, I don't know. I would have called you, but I was in a bind. Uh. <laughs> it's not bad. Unfollow. <laughs> uh, why was the JavaScript developer sad? Why? Because he didn't know how to express himself. Oh, no. no. Getting All right. worse. That That's, was pretty bad. That was bad. All right. On that note, <laughs> I'll just say just there's stop. many more of them. Okay. One more. <laughs> one more. Why did the CoffeeScript developer keep getting lost? Why? Because he couldn't find his source without a map. <sighs> All right. All right. That's enough. Richard, who the hell is talking to Make us? Make the bad man stop. <laughs> Grabbed a comment off a show 1188, the one we did about ASP.vnext with Rick Strahl, who yes. I just saw at the MVP summit. And this comment comes from John Davis, who says, I, for one, am not really a fan of the new ASP.net. Really? Power, file system-based projects, no more manifests. It's basically old school websites like pre-web app tech all over again, but with Roslyn and NuGet packaging. Hmm. My reasoning for disliking it is that there is no possibility to minimize and trivialize what goes into a project. Where for years I've valued brevity and minimalist packaging, now being strong-armed upon me is this, quote, kitchen sink 
flexibility. I don't know what this is going to lead to, but I can definitely see the ASP.NET 4.6 Plus and its paradigm needing to be supported for a rather long haul. Mm. I just think, you know, the conversations we've had this week. Yeah. And, you know, some folks. They've been all over the map, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, and we've talked about, you know, how lighter via VS Code is. Mm-hmm. And you just, we like the file-based thing. We don't have to deal with that. Like right. that to me seems like less ceremony yeah. than more, there's, that there's more ceremony around studio. Mm. I, I know, but I also get John's I, a position that I have lived happily in studio with everything I need. Why are you messing with this space? The way I look at it is high level stuff is good when it anticipates all of your needs and right. executes it properly. Right up but until But when doesn't. it doesn't, yeah. it, you, you, you're in a world of hurt because you have nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got to figure out all the internals and it sucks. Well, and I think it's, it's part of an interesting space that we're in right now, disrupting uh, an ecosystem and, you know, taking it on in a different way and, and, uh, not everybody's going to love it. It's going to work different ways. We'll have to get Mr. Edwards in. Absolutely. I know he's chomping at the bit. So let me, uh, introduce him as soon as you're done there, Mr. Campbell. So John, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. You can comment there. And if we read that comment on the show, we'll send you a mug. And of course, you can tweet us. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. We love tweets. Go ahead and send them. Speaking of Twitter, this is where we got Damien's uh, bio because it's the only one that's current. Aussie ASP.NET guy at Microsoft USA. But don't think I speak for Microsoft all the time anyway. Lover of craft beer and fine watches, Seahawks, and I'm a cricket fan. <laughs> so you actually know how that game works, huh? I do, I do. In fact, I was just uh, watching it yesterday. We started a new test match against New Zealand. Ah. Yesterday afternoon, this time here, and uh, Australia are off to a flying start. So, so next happy. week, you'll have to tell us who won. <laughs> I will. <laughs> and, I mean, you think it's three yeah, days. That was intended to be a joke, Absolutely. but it's five. It's actually. a five-day test? It goes test. up to five days. Oh it's very Lord. rare that it takes... A full five days, but it generally takes about four, three or four. <laughs> Cricket to me is a dart game. That's all I'm saying. You don't like watching darts? I love or watching snooker? darts. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, that's it. I mean, I, you know, cricket, the, the ball game, I don't get it because <laughs> I'm American. Americans don't get cricket. Oh, uh, anyway, good. so what is the official uh, ASP.NET guy at Microsoft USA title? What is your title today? Uh, my title today, unfortunately, is Principal Program Manager Manager. You manage program <laughs> managers. I manage program managers. So what about the guy who manages the manager of program managers? He's called a director of program <laughs> So he's management, not a program manager manager Or he's manager? a general program manager, depending on which org you're in. Because what's more generic than a title general program, <laughs> program manager? <laughs> Just keep cutting. It's just a number of people. That's all. Give everybody a number. I'm four. (laughs) (laughs) We have numbers as well. Don't worry about that. Yeah. 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 Was it 62? Yeah, start 59 all the way through to 70 or even higher. But you know, a single number doesn't express the hierarchy. You have to put dashes between the numbers. So you have 59 dash 42 dash 5 dash 7. And la, 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 la. (laughs) Big companies are great. (laughs) That's the way to do it right there. So when are you going to ship this thing? Oh, if only I knew. No, we will ship. (laughs) (laughs) We will ship. Uh, The current plan is that we will uh, RTW um, our 1.0, and I'm air quoting my 1.0. The 1.0 of 5.0. The 1.0 of 5.0 in quarter one next year. 
Oh, right. awesome. Right. So where are we now? We're in November. Yep. yep. Uh, we will RC this month, as we've been saying for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will be another RC. There will be probably an RC too, because we're not going to get everything right the first time. Right. Yeah. Because um, we're doing a lot new, including a, a, lot. a new .NET underneath of us yeah. and you know, new operating systems underneath that. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of work to do. Um, but we will RTM by uh, quarter one. So I'm guessing it'll be towards the later yeah. part of quarter one, not yeah. the first part. So. And hey, hey, look, if it's April and it's better, make it yeah. better. You you know, know? I think yeah. one, of our, one of our engineering managers likes to say it will release in a month that ends in burr, like a June burr. <laughs> 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 so, February burr. March burr. You know, we'll, yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see where we land. But that's the rough timeline we have but it's coming together yeah it's coming together i mean it's been a long um road really i mean we started talking about this nearly four years ago yeah. internally and then when we kind of you know started working on it more properly and we floated the idea internally with you know, ran it up the flagpole so to say yeah mm. um the, the the pushback or the push down came that's great can you go bigger <laughs> Do how more? about we'd make it cross-platform and we open source everything all the way down to net <laughs> And, you know, oh. like, and your eyes bug out like, yeah. what have I done? Well, it's kind of like, because we're going there, like, look at what we're doing. Yeah. We're going to build we're a new on the leading edge. This is great. It's like, nope, not big enough. So <laughs> was, oh, okay. So it was so, an afterthought to yeah. do all that? It wasn't really an afterthought. It was, oh, I, in it was, some ways, it gets on your perspective. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but yeah, well, it was. There was always a sense, because you're one of those guys. You came from the outside working mm-hmm. on SignalR. Mm-hmm. You were an open source guy from the very beginning. Right. And I've always had a sense, I think a lot of people thought this way, that it was, all of you that were banging upward going, we got to go open source, we got to go open source. But you're telling me there was a moment where from up there they came down and said, okay, really open source. Yeah, I mean, I think for a long time it was true. There was, you know, a small band of people yes. who were banging up, as you say, to try and say, we need to do more open source. Mm-hmm. And then something changed at some point. Maybe it was when Goo got higher or yeah. when, you know, whatever. The whatever various was. changes have happened last Whatever that switch got thrown. <laughs> yes. We need to go bigger. Yeah, if we're going to do this, we're going all the way. Let's do it all the way. Because I can't imagine you were ever pitching, we want to open source a .NET framework. No, not really. I mean, it was always a, you know, wouldn't it be nice type of thing. Um, But the .NET framework was the .NET framework, like what it is today in Windows. Mm -hmm. And like to open source that, it's a part of Windows. We can't just say, hey, we want to open source .NET. It's like, no, that would have to be a Windows decision. Right. Um, So the advent of .NET Core, I guess, made that, possible mm-hmm. um, as the thing well actually we could make that thing open source and yeah we could get it to run on a bunch of different platforms mm-hmm. um, and well, then you, build out on top of that you know that was one of the secrets I thought that people ever talked about about Silverlight is like you had a chunk of .NET running on a Mac that's exactly what it was yeah, yeah. and in fact a lot of the work um, that goes into building the CLR and then the base class library that sits on top of it or what we call CoreFX now, right um, a lot of that is the same code base and if you go and look at the code base on GitHub you'll see mm. If defs for like hash if you know not silverlight yeah. right um, and some of those names those monikers have changed over the years but it was the same code base. There's traces of silverlight in there. Like people yeah. want to know where silverlight is these days. It's like it's there. Do you want to address the comment the guy who said uh, you know that's what a he perfectly doesn't... valid comment and you know w- the reality is that we're not going to be able to make a change of this magnitude and have everyone go yep that's great. I mean we we've been 15 years into this yeah. mm-hmm. and that type of development experience. I mean the combination of the rad or the a very integrated development experience that is, you know, somewhat linear in how you approach doing that type of development. Yep. And as you made the point, like if you stay within the bounds of those things, mm. you can be incredibly productive. Yes, and I, you can. I was always advocating that 
back when I was an enterprise developer and, you know, in the community, say, look, you know, if you can concede some of the flexibility that you might think you need, mm. stay within the, the, the guide rails of what this app framework does for you, you may find yourself being a lot more productive. Yeah. You may not be able to build everything exactly the way you want to, but right. you'll be incredibly productive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an old story, isn't it? I mean, high-level tools do that for us. Exactly. They give us all this great power, but uh, we don't really know what's going if on. If I give you a hammer... It'll be really productive if all you want to do is bang in nails. nails. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you're going to get something that's vaguely nail-like yes. and you're going to bang it in anyway. Exactly. And you'll still – you should be okay. Right. And you know, the web landscape has changed around us yes. in the last five years. The web is a different place to what it was certainly 15 years ago when oh, we built ASP.net yeah. and you know, ASP before it. Um, and so we have to pivot. Like we have to be able to to build a new foundation for the web as we move forward for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Right. And the advent of the cloud and you know, massive environments and massive parallelism and scale and all those type of things has required us, you know, and competitors as well. Yep. You know, the advent of Node and extremely high performance HTTP services and microservices and all those things. We have to look back. We have to think, okay, what are we going to do to set us? It's a conversation I had in the bar last night where I was saying, I think the most profound thing that happened to the web was the duel between IE and Chrome mm-hmm. that made JavaScript a real compiled language. Mm-hmm. Like it went from this thing you had to do to glue your web pages together to yeah. this muscular, I mean, the stuff, you remember the demos yeah. in the yeah. IE9, IE9 Chrome timeframe, yeah. right. right? All that animation, the mm-hmm. beginning of the canvas, all of that stuff. And that race between those two teams, I mean, it changed the world. Yeah. yeah. And that made, that grew JavaScript up just like that. Yeah. It was maybe 18 months mm. that that whole thing happened. I, I actually point it back to, I think we have mobile to thank for a lot of this actually. Mm-hmm. I think, yes. I think the iPhone the was iPhone? really what kickstarted HTML5 when right. they, you know, they shipped Safari in a smartphone. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I had an iMate device at the time, right? Running Windows Mobile 6 or whatever it yeah, was yeah. with a stylus. In, Incredibly in that, powerful thing. And in that time frame, Steve Jobs said, if you're going to build for the iPhone, you're you going to build for app. Safari. Because yeah. there was no app store at that That's point. That's right. right. And so what's, they had all those. What's he saying now, by the way? <laughs> Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> they had all those uh, WebKit extensions. Yes. Which said, this, this is what's possible when you have a hardware accelerated browser right. that can do things like animations. Yeah. And we were like, and wait, this is like on a device the size of smaller than my hand. Yeah. You know? And the irony device. is that most web apps that you're going to use uh, aren't animated games and things like that. They're forms. You yeah. know, it's the majority of software is filling out forms and pressing buttons. It is. and then, But as Richard pointed out, that kind of kick-started a, yeah. a resurgence in, well, wait a second, a browser is basically a mini operating system. Yep. Sure. It has all the subsystems that you associate with one that you would need to build an OS. It has storage. It has networking. It has a graphic subsystem. It has more than one storage subsystem, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it has a UI composition layer. It has a scripting language. It has all these things that you would think, if I'm going to build a platform, I'm yeah. going to need all these things. And it hasn't slowed down. And geez, they're in the phone. I mean, yeah. and I get really annoyed when they talk about this being post-PC era because this phone is the most personal computer you could possibly have. Yeah, that's right? a really good point. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so close to you, you're afraid it's going to give you cancer. What's more personal than that? <laughs> jeez. <laughs> well, can you, for, for those who've been not kicking the tires on the new ASP.NET and have been in Visual Studio and using ASP.NET 4 and .NET 4.5 and... What, what what can they expect? I mean, it, let's let's put aside for the fact that web forms is you know something that if you want to move forward you have to leave behind. But what 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 can they expect from the experience of creating a website in ASP.NET? 
Well, if you are going to be in Visual Studio, you shouldn't expect too much difference. Like the whole point of using a tool like Visual Studio is that it's very um, prescriptive, it's guidance-based, it, it is visual in its nature. You mm -hmm. get a fantastic editor experience, but we really key about that. You have great navigation features. Mm -hmm. um, all those type of things will work. You know, integrated source control, change tracking, all those type of good stuff. Um, so if you are used to that type of experience in Visual Studio, you will still get it. What you won't get is the visual designer type yeah. experience, that drag drop sort of quintessential, I want to use a bunch of pre-boxed components. Yeah. I want to wire them together with standard eventing type right. stuff. Really simple, um, that really high-level abstraction. But there was a time, and maybe it was just because of the beta, where in order to create something in Visual Studio, you had to go download some NuGet packages. It mm -hmm. was like this little ceremony you had to go through. Right. But that's sort of not... No, I mean, if you install the ASP.NET 5 sort of tooling for Visual Studio, That's it comes with everything you need in the box. So when yeah. you say file new, when it does the NuGet package restore, it's happening from just a location on your hard drive. Yeah. Right. You know? yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yes, it has to restore packages because we live in a package-based world now, right. yeah. um, which there, gives there us a There is a point that the beta has gone through some major convulsions. Oh, of course. Right? Like, yeah. Lots of code broke one beta to the next. Absolutely. Yeah. We were pretty upfront about yeah. that, I think. Sure. So. Well, I mean, it, it, I actually like... Your stand-ups. Right. I watch those yeah. videos. You got A, you guys are funny. Yeah. <laughs> but B, it's really insightful to see the kinds of debates you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the way you guys think about building software. Like, I think it, it gives a lot of confidence because these guys are thinking about these problems. There's nothing arbitrary here. Right. right. Like, they've battled, argued, disagreed yes, about a, a lot, lot of stuff yep. and come to a consensus or at least a, got it, whoever was the least exhausted won. At that point. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I've seen looks, I think even on your face, it's like, if I just say yes now, will you stop talking? <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's really hard to hammer all that stuff out. But it is. It's really interesting how much... VNext has twitched around. Yeah. And we're still, you're still not done, right? Like I said, there's a couple RCs to go. Yeah, right? and I, I guess it, it's fair. I'm seeing it, it's really like a spiral and it's not one that's circular. It's kind of elliptical. And so sometimes if you consider the center of the spiral where we're finally going to land, our orbit takes us further away sometimes yes. because we go off on some tangent and then we loop back again and we get closer and then we spear off again, right? I mean, that's just the nature of doing a, a, size, a, a change of this size and build, changing as much things as we do. Now, to go back to your point though, mm -hmm. We, if you're building an MVC application today using MVC 4 or MVC 5, building one on top of ASP.NET 5 looks pretty similar. Yeah. Right? Especially if you've used MVC 5 where we had the Katana-based authentication system where mm -hmm. you had to start up CS and there was middleware and that yeah. type of stuff. That stuff is just lifted pretty much verbatim and dropped into ASP.NET 5. Great. Except it is now the application model. That is how the app is configured now. Right. Whereas before, it was a layer on top of the existing application model with you know, modules and application, you know, global ACX and all that type of stuff. Right. Um, but that is now the core of what we do. But if you're writing controllers and using dependency injection because you use some ISC container, all that mm -hmm. stuff will be very familiar to you. Mm -hmm. That's great. And yeah. the benefit of all this is it's all been decomposed, so you can use whatever pieces you need for whatever your application Yeah, that's is. a really big focus. Is, I mean, that's hard in itself because yeah. there's, you can go too far. Yeah. And, yep. you know, in something that happens in the NPM and the Node world, which is just one of the traits of because it's JavaScript, is that there is, you know, a library for doing query string parsing. And yeah. there is a library for doing this. And so you pull in a typical Node app and you may have thousands of packages. Right. Like literally thousands of packages. Right. Because they tend not to share, because everything's private, because it's JavaScript. They really don't have type equivalency to worry about. As long as it 
looks like the right shape, mm. things will work. Mm-hmm. .NET doesn't work that way. Like you need to get type equivalency if you want to be able to say this IFU is this IFU. So. Right. Do you see us moving toward a, a sort of a web component thing where we might actually get back to the high-level productivity of a web forms? Um, I have – there's two schools of thought on that. Um, I think – Time has shown us, and you know, given the conversation we had before about the power of browsers right now, that perhaps that model really belongs as close to the pixels as possible, right. mm. rather than oh, up yeah. in the cloud, like up in your way your and, web. And server that's what is. I meant. Yeah, you know, something that will wrap up a CSS, JavaScript, HTML blob that has that is actually programmable. Yeah, and that's certainly happening. But that is the web components movement, and yeah. libraries like Polymer that, have speeded that, yeah. and then React, obviously, and now Angular 2, and before that, Angular's directives. But the developer experience still is very much wire them up right. manually and all it that is. stuff. But you know, if you could sort of marry that uh, high-level experience of developing web forms with that kind of power. And we have aspirations to do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, to be really fair, we've talked about that over the last couple of years. Mm. And I think before we made the decision to go cross-plat and be fully open source all the way down, mm-hmm. I think we still plan to do that the same time frame. Yeah. We just got more stuff to do now. Sure. And so we don't have an opportunity to do that right now. And, you know, and the landscape's still changing. Like Angular 2 is obviously a massive change from yeah. Angular 1 yeah. uh, for the better, I think, in the long term. But it hasn't landed yet. And it so, depends on who you ask, too. Right. And it depends on who you ask. And yeah. that's good. Competition is good. Like mm-hmm. it's nice that there are different ways to achieve the same thing because ultimately choice is nice. Yeah. And generally people coalesce around the thing that makes sense to them. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Stackify. If your app runs on Azure, or if you're considering launching an Azure soon, Stackify is the only integrated APM and error log management platform that was designed with Azure in mind. Stackify's Azure expertise can identify problems before you launch and help you know the difference between apps problems and Azure problems so you can fix issues fast. Try Stackify now for free and get the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks. You know that's amazing about the Angular situation, mm. and, it, and in some ways it re- reflects on the, on the ASP.NET situation too. It's like we have agreed to disagree here. Mm. While a group of people want to go to a different way, mm-hmm. taking the learnings from Angular 1 to make Angular 2 different, it, if it was closed source, if this was an internal Google project, Angular 1 is dead. Mm. But it's open source, mm. and and you want to keep working on it, keep working on it. People are going to keep working on it, going to keep using it. There's no reason we can't we can't have this divergence mm-hmm. and both ecosystems thrive. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I mean, also looking at the Angular example, when they came out and talked about what Angular two would be in the sense of you know a completely different framework with only a, you know even a number of the concepts only really coming over. Yep. there was backlash, understandably, yeah. because that they had had this meteoric rise to popularity. So so many people were now invested in Angular one. Mm. They reacted like they said, okay, they they basically hired people who were going to focus on just doing one dot x. They released two or three more versions of Angular one, and now they've committed to doing an Angular upgrade package, which lets you run both Angular one and Angular two in the same app so that you can over time, because it's component-based, let me build the next component in Angular 2 and plug it into my Angular 1 app. Hmm. Now, that is more difficult to do in the .NET world. Um, You can certainly do it with pure just IL code. Like Mm -hmm. if you're just writing plain code that has no dependency on a specific application model, that just works. There's nothing wrong there. The issue you run into with ASP.NET in if you were trying to do some similar migration strategy is that we have a different HTTP context. You right. know, we are not system web-based anymore. System no. web was the world. It yes. was a monolith. Yes, it was. Yes, it and was. we weren't as facted well, out as Angular was. Yes, it is. It is. You know, It's not <laughs> yeah. going anywhere. It's going to be there forever. Um, and so doing that type of bridge is 
it's not impossible, but I'm not sure it's cost effective. Right. And so we have chosen to go the way we're, go- we're going. Um, but ASP.NET 4X will be around forever. And mm-hmm. you know, it will continue to get investments as appropriate for that platform. Um, but, you know, we're going in a new direction. And, I mean, your uh, elliptical spiral analogy mm. to me said, if you know how to build MVC 5, mm-hmm. you're not going to have any problem building MVC 6. Right. Mm. Uh, so from a skills point of view, you're fine. Yes. The real que- then the other aspect of that question is, so what's going to happen to my, will my project migrate? If I open an MVC 5 app mm-hmm. in a, 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 with MVC 6, can I make, is it just going to move across? No. No, absolutely no. not. And I so, guess that's the thing that people are trying to frighten. Right. Of. And so, and to be fair, from we've had five versions of MVC. Yeah. That's never worked. Like we never had an upgrade your MVC app from one, two, three, four, five. Right. Huh. Um, you can, the way you generally do that is you go file new MVC new version and you copy the code in the pieces mm-hmm. and then you fix the bits that don't work. Right. right? Um, and that strategy will still work mm-hmm. for this if you're, like you said, if you're doing pure MVC, you really live in the land of views, controllers, actions, filters, those type of things. Yep. That code will pretty much just move across. We've we've moved a few things around so yeah. that we can tease apart things to make it more componentized. Yep. But most of that stuff will just come across. We have concept compatibility. Right. Great. And and context and skill compatibility, which Obviously. I think is wildly important too. Yeah, it's I mean, again, it gets back to how you don't you don't frighten people. It's like, hey, what you know is still valuable. Mm-hmm. Really, six is about, we've taken everything we've learned on these previous five versions, realized a better way, mm-hmm. and it's a big change, but in the end, it'll land in the same place. It's interesting because like in in this industry, you know the innovator's dilemma, right? Yeah. Like when you're wildly successful, it becomes very diff- diff- difficult to become the next successful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's even compounded now industry because in other industries, that's an issue because how do you best what you did before? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got in other industries, people have shown that they're quite willing just to throw out last year's fantastic great thing and sure. get the new thing. That doesn't apply in software development. No. Yeah. Nowhere near as easily. Well, because right. the people were, we might do it as developers, but yeah. the people we develop for tend not to. They need to, they need that software. <laughs> yeah, it it runs the business. Right. <laughs> it's kind of not optional. Hey, boss, I just completely replaced everything with the exact <laughs> replica. Yeah. So when you're successful, you almost get yourself in this box yeah. whereby you, the, you, you get limited by your prior success because mm-hmm. if you break too much you alienate everyone who was built on top sure. of your success previously yeah. so that's a delicate balance we're trying but, to but I also think it's one of the things we keep worrying that .NET is getting old mm. right and it's 15 years mm-hmm. guys like that's a long time yeah but you know what though it's stable and, and it's wonderful but it's also still evolving it's changed mm-hmm. right oh and I'm not just talking about open sourcing it like disassembling it into core and you know different pieces I think helped a lot because you get away from the monolith yeah, just right. recognizing that it was at least two distinct contexts. Mm. But the package manager is just another way that we've taken bits off and said, if you don't need it, don't load it. The right. typical reason you would say that software is getting old is because nobody's updating it. Right. It's not evolving, as you say, but it is evolving. Yeah, it's it is completely evolving. evolving. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because, uh, as you said, if something's getting old and you said, oh, well, it means it's stable, one of the traits of something that is stable is that it doesn't change much. Right. Mm. It's funny. And so now you're in this dilemma. It's like, right. well, if it's stable and dependable, but I want to innovate, yeah. how do I do that without risking the stability? Yeah. <laughs> and that is something that's really difficult in a monolith. It's actually easier to do that if it is broken apart into appropriate pieces because you can change things in isolation and not risk breaking everything The way else. .NET was architected, did did they, uh, the original architects of the .NET framework and the CLR, did they anticipate this world? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. I think they anticipated a heterogeneous world where what you exchanged was via a web service. Like mm-hmm. That's what .NET was, right? Sure. That was this big thing. You had ASMX web services, yep. you spoke in XML and WSDL, and that was how you integrated. I don't think they perceived that you would take 
something as large as the BCL and the CLR it runs, and let's try and make it on, you know, run on a phone yeah, or that a was watch. You, you know? That was the original mantra of .NET, right? Mm -hmm. Many languages, right. one platform. Right. Right? Yeah. right. And Java was one language, many platforms. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and neither one of them are doing that anymore. Right. Now, and to be fair, <laughs> there is, you can go too far the other way, right? Classic pendulum swing problem. Sure. You react and go the other way. And yeah. I think... If you look at some of the things we did in the last year with ASP.NET 5, we, we suffered from that. When you make everything a package, mm. trying to reason about the graph that is the packages yes. that you depend on becomes really hard. If I've yeah. got 200 packages in my graph, me as a mere mortal, I you can't, can't, you can't read you, it. I are can't you, reason that. Are you speaking of NuGet hell? <laughs> NuGet hell. Now, which I think is still better than DLL hell. Yeah, it's not, yes. not all that much better, but, but it's better. It, it's still so, a hell. Right. It's resolvable. That's what's good about right. it. That's it. So yeah. we are, we are uh, right now, we are um, looking at between now and RTM, how do we consolidate those two worlds and come yeah. up with something that is really at is least understandable? Like what is the core of .NET? Yeah. I mean, it sounds silly because we have the single .NET core, but yes. mm. what does that constitute? How many APIs? How many mm. types? How do I get those things? What happens when we change them? What versions? What doesn't? Like, mm -hmm. those, those are philosophical conversations. They are. Absolutely. <laughs> and as a result of them being philosophical conversations, they go like typical philosophical conversations yes, right. go. They never resolve. You don't <laughs> tend to resolve yeah, them. So our is. challenge is how do we resolve those conversations? Yes. Um, and we hope to. We think we're actually getting really, really close. In fact, there's a document that we've been working on in the last few weeks that I think you'll see pop up on the web over the next few weeks. Um, that will introduce some of these concepts to you. Mm. And some of them are just tweaks on existing things like the .NET Portable Class Library system mm -hmm. um, that I think get us much closer to a best of both worlds. So, Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to schedule a meeting with the Microsoft Regional Director, Director, Manager, Director, 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 Manager, Director. <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? Well, if so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript in Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at Telerik.com slash NativeScript. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Charlie Olson. Congratulations, Charlie. Golf clap for you, sir. Absolutely. Charlie just won the Telerik DevCraft Collection, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Telerik. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we're giving away a $5,000 technology shopping spree. This will be the fourth year. Yes, it will. Yeah. How many times do you want to be a Nigerian prince? Uh, I know. It's really funny. Isn't it? <laughs> I yeah. think we've said it enough now that people are believing us more. Right, right. And it helps to have done it four times in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we also like to ask our guest, Damien, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? And I know it's not fair sitting across from Richard who's got the Surface book. You're looking at it and drooling. <laughs> 
I'm sure that's probably that's in three the list. grand done. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. I just um I just upgraded my desktop at home. I just oh. rebuilt the internals. Nice. Um, literally did like a motherboard swap out. And so, stuff? Yeah. So I kept the case. Yeah, I kept the chassis, and then everything else because I had a a Penryn, I think Core i7. Oh yeah, so like okay. The second gen, like 920 from like 19, you know, 2009. Right. So the big big upgrade. So that was good. And I bought myself one of those um, Logitech steering wheels for my Xbox One. Uh, understand with the pedals. Uh, four is a five. Uh, with four is a six. Four is a six. Yeah. yeah. yeah so that's good. So if I was going to spend five thousand dollars, I don't know if it's enough. Oh, I got a four K monitor as well. Nice. Uh, so I'm pretty well set up at the moment. But if I had more money to spend, I might upgrade my steering wheel setup to one of those ones that has the hydraulics and the suspension. The little like, cockpit. No, like the big one that. Suspends you three feet in the air with nice. hydraulic oh, arms wow. and moves around as you drive. I'm not sure five grand would be enough. I don't enough. think I'll actually do that. Yeah, yeah. that's got a couple more dollars than that. Yeah, maybe. There's a few companies selling the sort of racing car chat looking chassis. I nearly bought one of those. Yeah. I ended up just going with the stand instead. But yeah, but yeah. the hydraulics, yeah, they cost a couple of bucks and they need care and feeding. Yeah. yeah that's the thing. Maybe I could hire someone to do that for you <laughs> <me> as well. <laughs> Still cheaper than buying a race car, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And much lower risk of death. Yes, indeed. indeed. <laughs> that's always a good thing. That's a spouse approved feature, it right? Is, there. Indeed. The room it takes up probably isn't though. Uh I have been known to when I when I get the supercar willies, because I drive a completely practical car, right. I will spend money. Uh, going down to the racetrack, yes, right, and just do like a supercars day. Yep. Like, I'm in Vegas often enough. Right, I go down there. Yeah, 450 bucks. You can do 12 laps or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Take take a spin. Get it out of your system. Yep. Put it away. Live. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I can. Li- I can live with that. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good fun. It's a heck of a lot less expensive than owning one. Yeah. Indeed. Like for the price of an oil change on a Ferrari, <laughs> exactly. You can take a spin. Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> The, uh, the 4K monitor, which one did you go for? So I got the 27-inch uh, ASUS, and uh, they have two models. I got the better one. This yeah. is the one that Jeff Atwood recommended on his blog post recently, yeah. and it is gorgeous. Yeah, they are sexy screens. It is just gorgeous. But 300 DPI, like, it's it really is hard. Just, well, so it actually turns out to be roughly the same DPI as my Surface Pro 3, right. which is underneath mm. it, yeah. which is nice, because yeah. now I have the same zoom level between them and stuff. But it but is, you run them 200% most of the time? 150. 150. Okay, so your eyes are still good as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, which is default. So I'd <laughs> say your eyes default. are falling apart. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this yeah. middle age thing's starting to bug me. And Hansman runs his even lower. Like, he runs at like 120%. Yeah, yeah. We were in where? San Francisco or something, and you were trying to remote desktop into your... Uh, the first of when I've just got that Samsung, which yeah. was 3200 by 1800 display, mm-hmm. yeah. and I ran the old RDP client that didn't auto-scale, and it was and microscopic. I just, I just turn over, I see Richard squinting, he's got his glasses I off, he's glasses looking off, up at it right up to my face. <laughs> he looks like an old man, he's like, what's going on in there? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, and that's when I discovered the RDP manager app, which oh, actually does scaling properly. I didn't know that, which I'd known that yesterday when I... Uh, RDP'd from my Surface Pro 3 to one of the, the Smurf lab in here. Right. Um, and it automatically goes full res and you can't and read And I'm it. like, oh, I better zoom lots while I'm presenting yeah. this so people can I've, see. I've said it before. I think this new technology is a ploy to get rid of the old people in the yeah, technology you just business. can't see the screens. Yeah. So yeah, if go download RDP Manager, okay. which is the one that hand, keeps, that's actually nice because it gives you keeps track. Like I have several different places that I need to RDP to, not just my own uh, stuff. Okay. So keeping track of accounts and things like that, as well as doesn't script scaling. Nice. Okay. Sounds good. Good yeah. little tool. Cool. Here's my tool tip for the day. All right. So let's jump back into ASP.NET V next. So you're the SignalR guy. 
it's not a normal story that somebody with an open source project mm-hmm. gets pulled into the company and their open source project gets pulled into the box, mm-hmm. too, which is kind of amazing. That yes. is a great story all by itself. And, and by the way, thank you for SignalR because it's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, people still have that reaction when they see it. Which it's is amazing. Cool. Are you still responsible for it? Like, yeah. So, like, so the story was actually uh, David and I were, were working here already. So mm-hmm. I had just joined the HPNet runtime team after my first job here, which is working on the web tooling team. Mm-hmm. And I was PM for bits in ASP.NET 4.5. Um, and so, and David was working on uh, Kudu at the time, which is the technology that lets you do uh, source control based deployment into Azure. Mm-hmm. And he was in like an office around the corner from me. And I, one of the features in ASP.NET 4.5 was task based asynchrony. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I took it upon myself at Mix whatever the last mix conference was. I missed mm. that conference so much. Yeah, it was <laughs> um, The last mix. Um, I did a demo on how to do long polling in ASP.NET 4.5 using task-based asynchrony. So mm. you could get large numbers of long polling clients um, and, you know, not, and scale well because you weren't using threads while they weren't busy. And he had independently built a long polling feature into a thing he was doing in Kudu. And when he saw my demo at Mix, he was like, oh, we should probably like, talk because <laughs> wow. we built the same thing huh. and then you know at the same time another part of the ASP.NET team was building the WebSockets support right in ASP.NET 4.5 and the issue was well it was a very low level API like you literally had to send and receive array segments of bytes and so dispatch stuff yourself even more difficult than socket sockets even more difficult than socket ridiculously sockets. Yeah. difficult and you know it didn't work anywhere at that point yeah you know and so we figured that hey we should build a little library that lets you abstract away whatever the real-time channel is. You know, because Socket.io was becoming popular in Node, so we had mm -hmm. some inspiration there as well. And we built the .NET version. And we built that in our own time. We got blessing from, you know, our managers at that time that we were doing it in our own time. It would be open source. And then once we had finished 4.5, the understanding was we would bring SignalR into the ASP.NET family, make it a Microsoft open source project. So it was always part of the plan. It was always part of the plan. Well, from very early on anyway. And then, you know, when that happened, David and I literally became the Signaler team and we did nothing but Signaler for nearly two years. And it was yeah. glorious. And they, yeah. gave us, they gave us two <laughs> Those college. Those were good days. Those were good days. We, they gave us two college hires. So we had two Great. fresh developers that we could mold. And, yeah, awesome. it was, we, we self-organized into a little team room when we played cricket in the hallways most days. Yeah. We, were not, we were notorious because we were awesome. destroying buildings. Uh, yeah. But it was good. It was a lot of good fun. Um, and yeah, and Signaler came out the end. So I am still responsible for Signaler. It's part of the ASP.NET right. um, family. And, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I now look after all of ASP.NET. So um, Signaler is um, on hold right now simply because we need every dev we have to mm. work on ASP.NET 5. Right. And we will circle back and uh, pick up on Signaler and do Signaler 3. And which w- will be- how can you possibly improve on Signaler? I mean, no, you would be surprised. Yeah. There are a lot of things we want to do. I mean, probably just in terms of how, how big a message you can send and all of that kind of stuff. It's actually more than that. There's a lot of functional, like a lot of scenario-based stuff that we want to be able to enable. So the huh. thing that you said is obviously that we want to make it faster again yeah, and sure. make it more scalable and obviously replumb it on top of ASP.NET 5. But mm-hmm. we want to enable things like if we make Signaler itself more componentized, then you can do things like stand up a server that isn't a web server, but is part of your application server framework mm-hmm. that is acts as a Signaler endpoint and such that it can send messages into the web server so that they can then be broadcast out to the clients, but the clients don't connect to it. It's right. kind of a service bus approach. Kind of, yeah, but it, it happens by the Signaler APIs. Yeah. So as far as you're concerned, you just write your app as if it's a Signaler app, mm. but the messages might be coming from another part of your application because you have something that's like pulling stuff off an Azure queue. Mm-hmm. And if it wants to send stuff to Signaler clients, it just sends a Signaler message because yeah. it's just another Signaler client. Yeah. Sure. But it doesn't accept Signaler 
um, clients itself. Oh. You can do that today, but it's not really designed to do that. We want to make that stuff more official. Yeah, nice. Hmm. Um, and then there's the, a lot of the client work. So we have a C++ client now. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have noticed that Word and PowerPoint can do real-time editing now. There's a reason for that. Really? Is it SignalR to that? Yeah, it might be. Um, so, <laughs> so we have a C++ client. Um, which seen, is, I've seen a bunch of the Office stuff lately. Mm. It's Webby. Yes. Right? Yeah. They're, they're, they, that's where they're going with it. So though. the web editor uh, for Word and Things uses SignalR. You mm-hmm. can go in and see the traffic going in there. They were one of our first you know, big clients in that mm. sense. It kind of makes sense if they're going to be in the cloud, like yeah. do some cloudy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, but the JavaScript client needs a lot of love. Like it still depends on jQuery. We'd love to remove the dependency on jQuery mm-hmm. sure, um, and just make it uh, isolated. So we have a C++ client. We'd like to get that through to RTM. I think officially it's still a 1.0 alpha, but it's worked so well. Yeah. There's really nothing left to do on it. So That's we just need funny. to like, just like wrap that up in a bow and s- yeah. send that out. And then evolve it in the new form when time Right, comes, exactly. Yeah. And then we want to make sure that the C Sharp client works in all the new places C Sharp works well, like the UWP platform for Windows yep. 10 and those type of things. So there's still a bunch of work to do. And then there's other features. I mean, we, we want to improve our scale-out support. We'd like to do some more prescriptive guidance around mass scale. Like there's a lot of lot of stuff we'd still like to do in Signal. Getting right? it to run on the new ASP.NET stack, and that, which also means cross-platting the whole yes, thing. Yes, exactly. These are not small things because in the end, you're still going down to the socket level. Yeah, although, I mean, we Frankly, we have the the uh, advantage of the .NET layer underneath right. us, so we're still just talking web sockets. And so the signal layer doesn't really have to know any different. It doesn't know, but yeah, there's no networking difference because the, no. the the .NET framework. Yeah, we just do a web sockets. Yeah. And that, that's all we have. To this worry might about. be out of from out of left field, but do you have any stories of Linux conversion? In other words, converts companies or people that have been on Linux and then seen the open sourceness of ASP.NET and said, "Oh." No, um, like that. not that I know. Uh, we have more of current.net customers who are on Windows, but have already started the process of moving much of their production environment to Linux, right? But don't want to lose.net. Sure. Right. So and that, I mean, that's an obvious win win because you get the productivity of.net and the cost savings of Linux. Right. I mean, they like.net, they want yeah. to use.net, yeah. um, but they're being pushed for whatever reason to move into Linux in, in production. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing quite a bit of that from large customers. Yeah. I haven't heard, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now that are more of what you said, which yeah, is yeah, oh, yeah, we're yeah. a Linux shop and we use Perl or we use whatever. Right. Yeah. And, but oh, this.net thing is on Linux now. Let's look at that. I think that yeah. may come after one or two versions. I yeah. think a lot of people will wait. But it does feel like ASP.NET 5 and mm-hmm. this whole thing. Like, this is very much an infrastructure shift. There's not a lot of decoration. There has, hasn't mm-hmm. been time. Mm-hmm. We're not really going to reap the benefits of what you've done for another version or two. This is a long play. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's a big in play, a but it's, it's a very substantial shift mm-hmm. in what it means to develop on the Microsoft stack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, things like VS Code are obviously still just new as well. Yeah. And they will continue to get better. And I think we'll see in a year or two, those things will mature and people will look at that and go, wow, okay, the Microsoft integrated development experience now exists on all platforms. Yeah. Right. Well, integrated development experience, because that means to me studio. Well, it depends on what parts of Visual Studio you consider are required right. in order to be able to anoint it like that. Like, yeah. do you really need IntelliTrace? Or do you really need the COM designers? Or do you really need, like, if what you really want is a fantastic editor with IntelliSense, mm-hmm. a rudimentary project system, a good commanding system, mm-hmm. source control integration. A REPL. Uh, yeah, a REPL, right? Um, maybe an integrated console and, and good extensibility. I think those things will come to Visual yeah. Studio Code, and I don't think it'll be very long. 
Um, now well, the, the, I, I just find it interesting that your Visual Studio Code sort of starting from the bottom building up, mm. and clearly the studio folks are lightening up Studio itself. Yeah, I mean it's it's still very feature rich. It is being rearchitected. That there's a, a new plugin model, a new you know composition model, and so forth. Like they they they're trying to modernize it. Mm. They just got. They got a weight of a lot of code in front of them there. Oh, Visual Studio Code. I mean, still, I mean, Visual Studio. Sorry, still has code that goes way, way back. Yeah, sure. Probably, they, yeah, yeah. Oh, Not man. everything. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pre .NET code. Pre .NET code. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, I remember we did a conversation. I mean, show several years ago with Jay. I think it was Jay Smelzer mm -hmm. talking about. That I was actually for Studio 2010 and the introduction of WPF yes. and just this recognition of how much calm is inside of Visual Studio. Right. Visual Studio drank the calm juice in sure. a big way. Absolutely. And you just don't undo that overnight. Like no, that's, yeah. it takes a number of versions. Yeah, so not, mm -hmm. it's a long, long way. Time. And it's been four. It's been four now. And it's still going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when we think about the uh, new versions of ASP.NET, obviously a feature you like to go for every time is, you know, let's make it faster and more performant than the last one. That's nice. Do you have any kind of numbers that you can share with us? Yeah, so we've actually done a much, much more public and um, sort of uh, focused um, effort around performance this time. Like as part of looking at the wider landscape of what web frameworks are, are doing and HTTP servers are doing, like performance is now a differentiating factor. Sure. Whereas mm -hmm. perhaps it wasn't as much before. Like, it, And of course, it depends on the type of apps you're building, right? Like mm -hmm. sometimes you don't need astronomical performance, but when you are being considered a modern web cloudy sort of framework, sure. this is something that people ask. You want to know how do you scale, what's your latency look like, right. how distributed is that latency, what's well, your Well, you used to be the web dev stack for Windows. Right. Now you're going to play on all of the OSs. Correct. So I start thinking about, what's this, like Tech Empower, the, mm -hmm. the big web benchmark site? Correct, yeah. So we have a. I have the Smurf Lab on the other side of the wall right here, mm -hmm. um, which is our Smurf. The what? Smurf Lab, yeah. So I, it was the Perf Lab, okay. Uh, and then somehow someone said Smurf Lab one day, yeah, and that's and that stuck. Ah, so is there little you. blue dudes over there? There now? is a little blue dude okay. mascot sitting on top of our ten gigabit network switch. Did, which did Microsoft pay the appropriate license for that? I don't know. No, the, the Smurf and then obviously the non-trademark work. <laughs> nice. Um, so, and I'm the looking at the, the benchmarks sorry. for Tech Empower. And you yes. know what this look, reads to me when I look at this? This looks like TPCC from like 1990. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. TPCC is always an interesting one because they actually like show cost yeah. as well. Like the, the big thing that comes out of those benchmarks is how many microcents does every transaction cost yeah, me on the system? Cost. And that's why, I mean, people who, some a lot of people turn their noses up at benchmarks. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't represent real world performance. It's like, correct, because... Nothing represents real-world performance right. other than real-world real world performance, performance. <laughs> for your application. Are you sure really cannot gonna, predict it. Are you really going to implement your application on multiple platforms just to figure out if the benchmark makes exactly. sense? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you have to – when you want to understand how your app performs, you run your app. But yeah. if you want to make decisions about what is the overhead of framework X yeah. and platform Y – you need benchmarks. That's what they're for. Theoretically, if you do the same test on each version in the same environment, you can get an average. You can get the idea of how much more performant your Correct. with that. That's your what a benchmark. Is. I mean, you get relative numbers. Is. That's the whole point of these yeah. things. Yeah. And so we have uh, numbers and we have new goals. And so if we look at ASP.NET uh, four four point five running on top of IIS, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the existing stack on our Windows machine out here, the most we can um, get out of a the most simple plain text response. Right, we have an HTTP handler that returns hello world. It is as simple as you can get. Right. It's between 55,000 and 60,000 requests request per second. Um, and that's a saturating CPU, right? And that's a 12-core machine. 
So um, uh, off of a single box, a big, a big board Dell probably if you're talking 12 So cores. it's an HP workstation. Right. And we have another HP workstation, so identical driving load. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so we get about 60,000 requests per second. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if you then go to something like Node uh, and you run Node.js with a cluster, so it's running a process per core. Yep. Because you know, Node is single threaded, so you need to do that to get the scale. Yep. Um, then you start bumping up to about 120 to 150,000 requests per second. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Um, if you then look at our latest uh, drops of ASP.NET 5 on uh, Kestrel, which is our new web server, we're bumping up against 500,000 requests per second now for that same wow. test. Same gear. We have a long way to go yet because then if you drop in one of the Java servers like Netty, well, Netty is used everywhere. Like mm-hmm. Netty is an incredibly capable HTTP server and other protocol server. It does 2.6 million requests per second on the same hardware. Wow. So we have to, you know, we've made incredibly good progress. We have to reduce about 80% of our CPU overhead right now in order mm-hmm. to get the five times performance throughput that we want in order to match those type of numbers. And wow. so is, is it just threading conflict in the end? That's we don't know. Or we we don't know yet. Like if if we knew, is. I would, you know. We, You'd be fixing it right there's now. There's a lot of things. Yeah. My, my gut is telling me it'll be things like memory allocation. Yep. Like we're just allocating too much memory right now. Right. We're allocating over a gigabyte per second mm. when doing our test oh, right wow. now. So if we don't go five times, you can't allocate five gigabytes per second in like a managed environment. Like yeah. you, you just, you're going to hit problems very, very quickly. So we need to allocate a lot less memory. Um, or allocate it up front perhaps. Oh, and we do things like that. Memory I mean, you pooling? Can, well, pooling. So you yeah. can allocate a lot less memory, but you allocate it in chunks that right. you then lease out, classic memory pooling. So we, we have an aspect of that already. Mm-hmm. We do that in Kestrel. We do it in MVC. We're doing a lot of that stuff already. We've made massive improvements in Razor. So we don't use anywhere near as much memory as we used to. But when we just talk about the web server itself and the very core HTTP abstraction and the middleware pipeline, those type of things... Um, there is things like I.O. We need to ensure that we're not introducing contention. Mm-hmm. We need to ensure we're not hitting really strange, quirky effects with the layers between managed and native code, which yep. we don't think we are yet. But we're using LibUV, which is this native I.O. abstraction that Node uses across Linux mm-hmm. and Windows. And it is very efficient. It's very good. But we need to make sure we're using it in the right way. We need yeah. to make sure we don't have any stupid bugs, that you know, all those yep. type of things. And so then we have a new, a new CLR. So we need to make sure that we're not that we don't have latent problems in the new CLR that we need to fix as well. That's a lot of instrumentation to to go through to figure out where the bottleneck is. Yeah, and we're using you know the same profiling tools that people would be using in their apps today sure. so, to figure this stuff out. And there is a philosophical part here that managed systems is just never going to be as fast as some so of these bare metal solutions. So it's funny you say that. So the Java benchmark, right. 2.7, managed. that's managed. Yeah. yeah. We have an experimental server that we wrote using Rio, which is the registered I.O. APIs in Windows, introduced in Windows 8, which are designed to be incredibly low latency, high throughput networking a- APIs. Mm-hmm. There is no .NET projection for this in the .NET right now. So we just have a, a managed server that P invokes, which is all Kestrel is because mm. P invokes to libuv. Sure. Ultimately, all anything is, right? That's managed. Yeah, right. We hit 6 million requests per second with that. Wow. As a raw Ooh. socket server. Whoa. Right. So that is not the problem. Like interrupt between managed and native is not the issue. Yeah. It comes down to things like thread affinity and CPU data locality and memory management and mm. all the really nuts and bolts. Yeah, things. the things that go along with managed code that may cause problem, like garbage collection and that kind Correct. of stuff. Yeah. And like you just... But you just because to, it's managed doesn't it's, mean... It's, it's not because it's managed. Like, yeah. it, it's more the the lulls that manage, the managed world draws you into. Yeah. Like, sure. You have to think about what an object is and when you allocate it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we have to think about. And when it's marked for destruction. When it's marked yeah. for destruction. And how long does it live? All of that is it in other... Gen 0 or Gen 1 or Gen 2? Like, yeah. We have to understand those things very intricately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my experience with benchmarking websites, which I've done a ton of, is mm-hmm. like one of the reasons that low test takes so long is you need to mature 
garbage collection memory. You mm -hmm. have to get through the generations. Like mm -hmm. you are lying to yourself Absolutely. until you start having accumulation in Gen 2 and large object caches. Like none of those, every measurement you've done up to then is a lie. Correct. Mm -hmm. A real site runs for more than 15 minutes, right. right? Absolutely. It's like the next day, what does memory look like? Mm -hmm. That's when you start to understand what your site's really going to look like over a weekend. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a good, it's fun. I, I really like doing the performance. They stuff. are like, fun. Yeah. Every time on. you find a 5%, 10%, 20% gain, like yeah. you jump up and down. Like yeah. that stuff is awesome. Yeah. And so, have a drink. Yeah, have a drink. And <laughs> yes. This is one of the areas where we've seen some fantastic community contributions Drinking. as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Drinking. I get, I get sent a lot of scotch. No, no I'd be nice. Send me scotch. And what's um, the address they can send it to? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, in the performance area in ASP.NET 5 and Kestrel, we're getting some really solid community contributions in that mm, area, which really is great. Really, really good. Performance strikes a chord with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's geeky, right? People yeah. like it just yeah. for the pursuit. It's, it's really interesting to think about that and just to... Yeah, be aware of what you're changing and where the bottleneck actually lies. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that, that whole game of am I using my CPU well? Am I blocking on a thread? Numa architectures and memory. Like, yep. th those little things bite you as absolutely. these machines scale up. Yep. And I found sites that run brilliantly when we have lots of little boxes and not so good when we have big torquey boxes. Absolutely. So do you have to meet those benchmarks before you ship? No. Um, those are a, those are a, just a persistent, ever long lasting goal. Got right? it. And so, I mean, right now, the sort of the Java-based things that are at the top of the tech and power benchmarks, mm. uh, you know, that's what we're comparing ourselves to because they're a managed stack. There's no reason we shouldn't be as fast right. as sure. those if we want to be as fast as those. And I do. I yeah. really do want to be as fast of as course. those. So I would love to come back at some point in the future and say, yeah, we are now consistently in the top 10 in a benchmark like mm -hmm. tech and power. Um, it's just a quality mindset, right? It's a quality it's like, mindset. Like, this thing is well built. It should run fast. And I think it uh, it shows a certain uh, caliber of customer that we care. Like mm -hmm. some people really care about this stuff. And give, be, given that we haven't really given a lot of public sort of credence to this mm. uh, aspect of what we do in the past, I think this may change some minds. Like if people see us doing this type of thing, they might go, oh, okay, those guys care about X now. They yeah. care about Perf, right? You ever had Perf uh, improvements from the community? Yeah. So like we have, as I said, we've got some a bunch of really good um, uh, contributions coming now. There's one guy in particular, Ben. Uh, from uh, England who is doing a lot of really interesting work in profiling our memory usage and trying to drastically lower a lot of our allocations. Some of the changes he's making are really out there um, and we're not quite ready to accept like massively pooling everything right now mm. because mm. pooling is um, a double-edged sword. Pooling can be very dangerous. Mm. If, you're, if you start pooling um, application-level intrinsics that you're handing to user code, if you don't clear those things off correctly you start leaking state across right. different contexts. And mm. that's really dangerous. It makes people unhappy. It makes people very unhappy mm. when they write to a request when they thought it was that request and it's actually that one. Right. You know, things like that. Well, it says it's this user, but it's actually that user. Now, right. it sounds trivial, but those things can leak in very quickly. Well, your so, identity can change yeah. on you uh, yeah, while you're exactly. in. It turns out correctness is a higher priority than performance. Yeah. It is. Like, we, we want performance, <laughs> but not at the cost of correctness yes. and stability and yeah. you know, those type of things. Funny so, how that works. Funny, yeah. funny that. Like, every time I've done a performance tuning <laughs> exercise with a company, it's like you write out those three things, uh, you know, correctness, uh, reliability, performance, scalability. Right. Now hey, let's uh, order these because right. all of them are important. Correct. But it's hey, like, I ordered a Tesla. Why is there lipstick in my shopping cart? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my Tesla? Speaking of Teslas, you're wearing the Whitecliff shirt. Yeah. So this is the uh, T-shirt that uh, the Oatmeal put yes. together, Matthew Winman, when he was raising money for the Tesla Museum. 
at, at Wycliffe. At Wycliffe. And, and yeah. he uh, got permission from Tesla to put the Tesla logo at the bottom of the Apparently shirt. Apparently, Elon donated a non-trivial chunk of money. He, mm. I think he donated $2 million to the effort. Yeah. And he committed to putting a Tesla supercharger at the site. Nice. Which wow. is why, you know, in this case, in this, this picture, the, the tower is actually plugged in to yes. the Tesla because it's charging from the and, tower. And Wycliffe was supposed to be... Tesla's great experiment in power transmission. It's his lab, right? It yeah. was his last lab. Yeah. And it has the tower. And yeah. He was supposed to be able to transmit power with it. Oh, Through the ionosphere or yeah, whatever or it was. Something. Yeah. All I got to say about that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I bought the t shirt and I have a brick. No, oh, you bought a brick. I bought a That's brick. Awesome. One of my brick. I, I hope to go there and see my brick one day. Yeah, no, great. I definitely want to take a tour of that place yeah. when it's done. Damien, thanks very much for all your hard work and it looks great. And for those who haven't downloaded it yet, go download it and check it out. And uh, just thanks again. Thanks, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got to transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard. Pay my taxes.